Um, what the heck am I even doing with my life? <laughs> Leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing, and now you're trying to feed him your body. Thou shalt kill all of your hands and a dog fish a tampon out of the garbage. Ain't right to bubble pages, you pretend like you will. The dog. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Straight Up Evil. My name is Jocelyn. I'm the brunette. We've got Katie. She's the redhead. Hello. And we have Carly. She's the blonde. Hiya. It's a pajama party. Pajamas. I say pajamas. I'm sorry. Do you really say pajama? It's. Carly, Bird. I it's tomato, 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 pajama. See, Michael says pajama, <laughs> I say pajama, so we compromise and call them Declan's PJs. PJs. All right, PJ party. PJ party. Hey. PJ's party. <laughs> it's a Katie episode tonight, and we yeah. are talking about. Well, I like to call first. I'm going to give it out to Richard Jewell, the hero. But this is about the events surrounding the 1996. Centennial bombing. Centennial Olympic Park bombing. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it's the story of Richard Jewell, Eric Rudolph, and the Centennial Park bombing. Be careful, boy. In some tales, the hero gets eaten by the monster after all. So we're going to start with Richard Jewell. Richard Allensworth Jewell, he was born on December 17th, 1962 in Danville, Virginia. He was actually born Richard White, but after his parents divorced when he was four years old, his mother remarried a man named John Jewell and John adopted Richard. Sometime after their marriage, the family moves to Atlanta, Georgia. I was born there, but that's like where my mom met my dad. And that's like where my dad knocked her up was in Atlanta. (laughs) Atlanta. In high school, Vanity Fair and Atlanta profiles describe Jewel, an earnest, hardworking and helpful type who worked as a crossing guard. And he also apparently worked the movie projector in the library. He was also known to have many friends and he was teased for being odd or weird and also bullying for being heavyset. I also got bullied in school because I was a little big boned and people used to call me Big Katie. Yeah. I hate that. Wow. Yeah. That's so much. And they also like called me a lesbian too. Everybody said I was a lesbian. I was called a lesbian multiple times. Because I wore like t-shirts. I was and called old, a lesbian. old man <laughs> pants. Wait, 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 wait. This is wait, why wait, we wait. are meant to be. We're just Wait, no. all three of us were called lesbians? Are you being serious? Nothing wrong with being a lesbian. Nothing just wrong that, just that we three are we... not in fact lesbians. Right. We were being called that in a negative tone. Like yes, the person exactly as an insult. Right. 100. Richard pursues a career as a mechanic for a little bit and then he lands a job as a supply room clerk at the small business administration where he met lawyer Watson Bryant, my hero, who would later serve a crucial role in defending Jewel, which we will get back around. Okay, 1990 and anxious to work in law enforcement. 
Richard gets a job working as a jailer at the Habersham County Sheriff's Department in Northeastern Georgia. While at the same time, he takes up a side job as a security guard, the very apartment complex where he lived. He was very passionate about what he did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He had this zealousness about him and like want and desire to like enforce the law. Reason for that, and he describes it later, it was like, it was because he believed so much in the law and that what they were doing like was right and that they were actually out there really like not just to solve crimes, but like also like to help people and save Mm -hmm. people. He busts a couple for being too loud in a hot tub. He totally overreacts and has an episode with this student. He gets charged for impersonating an officer. Oh, shit. Okay. He gets placed on probation. Do you think that that's because, Benny, he has a, he wants to be a police officer so much that he, that he's just in the moment. I don't know. I just feel like really the people that really knew him and the few people that did accept him, like he wouldn't hurt a fly. Yeah, just remember that whole thing. He gets put on probation for that and he's ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation. They thought that he had a little bit of like obsessive Mm -hmm. uh, disorder. Yeah. Sure. Jewel makes a comeback after this little this little trouble scare, right? Kind of. He regains his standing in the department and he eventually makes it with a promotion to deputy sheriff. But then in 1995, Jewel is allegedly, he's out on, a, on duty and he's pursuing a suspicious vehicle and he crashes his patrol car during this, oh, like, wow. during his chase. He ends up resigning instead of taking a demotion. And kind of like goes all the way back down to the jailer. Lost it all. Three steps forward, yeah. one yeah. step back for him always. Now Richard has to get another job, obviously, right? Like he's the job man. So he does. This time it's at Piedmont College and it's a campus security job. And then Thank like you. I'm thinking in my head, okay, maybe you should stop working security at this point, right? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's like, not really working out. It's not working yeah. out for me. He's getting a little bit aggressive and too, too pushy with these kids right he gets people mad at this job the students the students get their parents mad the faculty's annoyed with him because he's like he's like pulling people over on the highway in front of the college right in front of the college so it's like making you know creating a scene in front of the campus sure so arresting speeding motorists onto the highway okay like that's not really in his jurisdiction that's no not even a little no What is he thinking right now? I I don't know, but I think he's a little bit obsessive. 1996, he resigns from his job and he returns to go home. I read in a few, in a few different sources too. This was another kind of situation where it was like they were going to let him go or he could just resign. Because it looks better for him to resign than to be fired. And to be still having the ability to get another job. Correct goes to Atlanta, moves back home to Atlanta to take care of his mom, who is having foot surgery. He also moves there to guess what, you know, find another job. Can't hold one down. No. No. He gets hired at the Olympic Games as a security guard at the Centennial (laughs) Park, and it's the Summer Olympic Games, 1996, July 27th. His job was to guard an AT&T tower that had, like, all of these sound people that were doing all the filming for shows, everything, the coverage of that. Jewel notices this backpack. Now, there is one minor detail I don't want to get too, too in-depth about, but it's something that I that I realized I didn't put in here that's important. Right before he notices a solid green backpack under this bench, there was a little group of guys that were standing, if you're facing the bench, there was a little group of like these drunk kids 
to the left of the bench and they were drinking beer and a bunch of beers had a bunch of beer bottles around. They were throwing them everywhere, just like littering them all over the ground. Richard like proceeds to go approach them and tell them like, hey, come on, just try to pick up Cavasio and like kind of just move away from here, like whatever. Sure enough, in that tussle of all those boys, they started like, they're like teasing him, whatever, talk shit to him and then do whatever. There's like a little bit of an altercation and a hustle. They didn't have physical fight or anything, but they just talk words and then the guys go away. Well, something must have happened during that time with this, this backpack that Jewel had noticed for it to be like knocked over. Jewel immediately freaks out about this backpack. He calls it to be suspicious right away. A squad member approaches the bag and he only barely lifts the top of it and just like rolls away from the backpack. Like, wow, that's so scary. Richard manages to make it up all the way up to the AT&T tower and he gets all of the tech workers out of the tower before the bomb goes off. Also just a similar eerie story. My dad passed away when I was a baby. Love him. Shout out to my dad, Shane. Rest in peace in heaven. He actually lived in an apartment building and it set on fire and he got everybody out of the apartment building. He was the only person that didn't survive. Oh my okay? God, Benny, I never knew that. And he died a oh. hero, yeah. By the time Richard had gotten all the people out, the bomb had gone off. There was one woman killed that was there with her daughter by shrapnel also a cameraman died because he suffered a heart attack the female (sighs) victim she was 44 years old her name's alice hawthorne and she because it was a nail bomb she it penetrated her skull so as soon as that was fractured she passed she she was killed very quickly and then the cameraman who had a heart attack fleeing the scene he was only 40 oh. and his name oh, was Mille Usignol I think that's how you pronounce it yeah they're yeah they were young really young Richard Jewell was quickly named and praised as the hero for having saved countless lives however the heroism was very short-lived Here's where things start to get crazy. The president of Piedmont College informs the FBI of Jewel's overzealous behavior and how he had acted at the college and how this was like kind of like a trend with him and that he felt concerned about Richard's behavior. This guy obviously just had a vendetta against Richard Jewel. I think that Richard Jewel definitely may have been a little bit aggressive in his attempts, but we all know that person. It, and honestly, it like it, he just say people from a bomb. Like, so like what part, how how is that relevant at the at the time? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, at that I think that they were interested in him because we see people do this sometimes sure. spark mm-hmm. the situation that makes them right. You know, and just like you said, Benny, like he lost a few jobs because of overzealous behavior. He had a little bit of a reputation for this. And so maybe they thought, OK, he's been trying to do this for a while. Maybe and like- now he's son of sam how he would like exactly this also happens though i also want to say in the same vein like they create a profile of a person on july 30th richard has an early morning interview with katie couric on the today show and she's still like calling him the beloved hero and honestly so i was young when i remember this interview and i just felt like right away i just felt like he was just like a little poor little deer lost in the headlights i was like who even is is this guy like this guy is not a bomber he's this guy is Mm. not a part bomber and about how old was he at this point do you know he was born in yeah 62 this is 1996 so 34 okay the fbi the same day after he returns home from this interview with katie Kerr. Two FBI agents show up at his house, at him and his mother's home. 
and this is pretty messed up. So they immediately come in and they're like, it's so amazing what you did. It's really great. We would love to like make a training video for like the proper way to go about suspicious package protocol. They asked Jewel if he would be like the lead of the video and like take the lead in the rain to make this video for like the rookies that come are coming in. Sketch us out. Total lie. They just want to get him in the station. Yeah, they, they do this all the time. Reason. Liars. They're trying to see, they're trying to play to his, the, they'll do it with serial killers too. I yeah. feel like they're trying to play to his ego, his sense of yeah. self, like where yeah. you're going to teach the video on how to, you know, whatever it's, it is, it's, they're totally manipulating him. They're just, yeah, taking, and again, also knowing that he was like, so just loved police too. They just are right away taking advantage of that. Okay. You know what? So, I'm sorry, this is totally unbelievable, but do you know what he reminds me of? Dwight Schrute from The Office. A little bit. Who was like, yeah, like, because Dwight is like the volunteered by the book, deputy shit, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, like very overzealous and like every rule. And it's almost like I'm not being like stereotypical, trying to be stereotypical or like judgmental or anything, but it's almost like a little bit on the spectrum, a little bit, mm-hmm. like where it's not, it kind of like it kind of, that's what it reminds me of is it's almost like you need to have it so routine every time that it's almost like OCD kind of. It's like know? when Dwight Schrute interrogates everybody in the office the about joint. the joint in the park. Yes. <laughs> Either Jules suspects that something's not right or he, this is where his lawyer gets involved. Either he had called his lawyer and his lawyer said, get the hell out of there right now. Or Jewel suspected and felt something was not right because they were trying to have him sign papers and shit. And he just knew that that was not a good sign. Always have your so lawyer. Kind of Always. I don't care if they want to make a video with you. Get nope. your fucking attorney in there. Every you know time, what? every time he might have been a little bit a certain way and he might have been a little much for some people, but he wasn't stupid either. The same exact afternoon, the Atlanta Journal Constitution releases an edition with a headline stating the FBI suspects Hero Bard may have planted bomb. This is where we get a little bit onto Kathy Scrubs. We're not going to spend too much time on her, but I do want to cover a little bit of stuff. Kathy Scrubs, hardworking, dedicated journalist that would not live it down. Okay. And she would do whatever it took to get a story. If that meant she had to be the first person on the scene, she was. They all make it as though she slept with someone or hooked up with a cop in order to get the this information that he was a suspect for the FBI. And apparently she slept her way there. Okay. Oh, and everyone okay. wants to to define her as that. Is it a terrible thing that she that she did because she didn't know the real truth and she put this story out a day after, two days after this happened, mm-hmm. three days after this happened or something? It's a pretty good story. Yeah. This woman went to her grave, never released any of her sources. Yeah, because they can't. That's right. You can't, I mean, they can't, even law enforcement can't compel you to reveal your sources. You don't, they don't have to. Good for her. 100%. And she had it half right. It was an angry white guy. It just wasn't Richard Jewell. It was an overzealous white guy. It just wasn't Richard Jewell. You know what I mean? So like she was on the track. They were trying to figure it out. They were investigating him. Yeah, and they were painting right. the profile. For she wasn't just trying him. to like defame his character. Like there was totally some legitimacy. She didn't just that. pick a yeah. guy and be like, let right. me ruin your life. There's now an entire media frenzy surrounding his entire apartment complex and surrounding the area. He walks in, he turns on the television and Tom Brokaw is talking about him, announcing to the world that Richard is the lead suspect in the Centennial Park bombing and that he would likely be arrested soon. That is terrifying. Seeing, walking in the door and seeing yourself on TV. Next day, FBI comes. 
to Richard and his mom's house. They take a bunch of shit from their house, Finney's. Tupperware. Disney films. What? Yes. Uh. Yes. Richard Joel's mother claimed to her deathbed that she never got some of her Disney movies back. So weird. What? Yeah. What would that even... The media snapping all these photos of Richard Joel, like, sitting outside of his apartment while the FBI is raiding it. You know, the media starts portraying these articles of him being, like, courtly, odd, lives with his mom, and has no life, and has guns in the house, and must be a killer. But he lives, you know, in the freaking dirty, dirty South, and, like, they hunt out, like, out there, like, that's what they do it's okay it doesn't automatically make you a killer either sure it might not make you look the best (laughs) i'm sure his lawyer was not thrilled about that when they found the guns either dirty spotlight i know (laughs) (laughs) for the rest of the episode east coast all this time (laughs) dirty south okay i'm done like just the rest of the episode i was thinking the same (laughs) thing oh okay so this spotlight continues to shine on this innocent man being the main culprit of this crime while a domestic terrorist is roaming the hills of the south people are starting to realize and like they're starting to side like with richard and they're starting to realize that it's not him they're like this guy's a doofus that just lives in his house with his mom and is protecting her and he's not fucking harming anybody like um (laughs) 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 right so rudolph the red-nosed fuckface eric rudolph was born on September 19th, 1966. He was born in Florida, okay? Also, just another eerie connection to my life. Right before I lived in North Carolina, in my early childhood, mom and I lived in Florida. This guy does not represent my state. Well, and Timothy does McVeigh not represent... doesn't represent upstate New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. His parents are Robert and Patricia Rudolph. One of his girlfriends during this time, this is what she said about him, quote, this was like in the urban cowboy days and people were following the whole country. This feels me. Uh, urban cowboy. Urban cowboy days and people were following Love the it. whole country music thing, Kathy I have said. no idea what that is. Referring to Harley. the 1980 John Travolta, Deborah Winger movie that popularized cowboy bar chic. It's an so epic movie. Okay. So she says, I thought that he was that type of, more like that type of persona. He assumed the whole country boy thing. I never thought that he would be a redneck or a skinhead type of guy. I was attracted to him because he was quiet and shy. He had a Southern accent, spoke like a country boy. I remember him being a smoker, chewing tobacco. He introduced me to it. He continues to go on to say that later down after them dating for and being together for a little bit, that she starts to notice these really strange things like that weren't there at first. Like he's making like, he has very radical views on certain situations and things. And he starts using the N word around her. And she's like, I'm not comfortable with this at all. This no, you immediately run the other way, dude. Yeah. Direction. A couple girlfriends of his seem to specify this very similar kind of story about him too. That it was like, at first he seems like this nice Southern quiet boy. That's a gentleman. And then all of a sudden he like turns into this like angry racist, person that hates everyone yeah just hating everyone you know it's probably after a couple beers so mm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he starts to get a little liquid courage Rage. and starts mm-hmm. saying oh i can say whatever Feeling i want this. and, and then you, you know i'm yep. not saying that when people get drunk they say they only speak the truth i'm not saying <laughs> that i'm just oh, saying oh. That when people get drunk, you you start to, once they loosen up a little bit, you kind of start to see like, oh, 
I think exactly how somebody can be. Eric's dad died from cancer in 81. Eric didn't take it well, according to family and other witnesses and friends. Patricia decides to take Eric and another one of the brothers, Jamie. They moved to the Nantahala National Forest of North Carolina. Also been there. They move into this charming, according to his sister, this is according to his sister, they move into a charming little house that sat atop of eight and a half acres of land. They did live right off land. Completely self-sufficient family, raised and grew their own food. They had a large distiller that boiled water for them so they didn't have to drink the fluoride faucet water. It's very Israel Keys. Yes. I bet that his father did not take any sort of traditional treatment for that cancer. Mm-hmm. You, you mm-hmm. know that they weren't seeing a, a general physician for that no also i watched one interview with eric's mom and she's a very strange woman and i get really bad juju vibes from her for sure just like israel's very yeah one of the very first things she says about him is how he was like a runner like in a fast walker and a fast runner and he just always escaped and she could never keep up with him and that he had this crazy like endurance and she would never rest an nbc report writes while attending K-12 Nantahala School, Eric wrote a high school essay contending that the Holocaust was a hoax. No, no, dude. Yes. No, dude. No. Yes, How is that high school, flat earthers? Like, how is this a thing? They need to exist out there. I know. They exist out there. So this is, okay. So okay. I do not want this episode to, there are some really good people out there in those mountains that live good, regular, good old, yeah, awesome, great. good lives. And it's a beautiful place. Okay? Living off the grid. But Absolutely great. Sh- yep. Totally it is sketch is all hell. And it reminds, it gives me like hills have eyes type shit. Like the people that come from the mountains. they do the craziest (laughs) shit it's still a very racist state to this day yeah i love it with all of my heart sure but they still have a lot of issues as many other states do so i just don't understand the holocaust being a whole i don't either it's very difficult for me to understand how how celebrated the world war ii vets are in america and how they are how they are just like a different tier of hero and they literally saw all of these things saw it with their own eyes like were there like it like and they're just well, they're very exalted and respected in our mm-hmm. society and i just don't understand it's how disgusting. how like these quote unquote like patriots believe that all of that was made up or that they're just so committed to a lie like i i don't i i can't wrap my head around it me neither patricia his mother claims too that as when he was young like they were his like her family they're like antifa and like all these their family it's like goes back generations and generations of them being just like really it's rough really so, quick i'm so sorry like, fuck but these people i can't hills have eyes jocelyn do you remember <laughs> we wait you guys watched it watch the hills have eyes yeah no carly and i yep. used to do, carly and i used to make a habit of watching horrible horrible movies horrible horror movies terrible and yeah wow. the hills have eyes i'm just... pretty sure like we slept in the same bed that night yeah. because we were like nah, it was so messed up really messed it up is. yo but that is like, the up. western carolina like those those the blue ridge mountains out there there are dead people all around also the holocaust happened people yeah we're here oh, to tell you that thing. it definitely it happened. happened and how and dare you history matters even if it hurts right 
Nantahala residents recalled Rudolph going to camp in six, okay, so this is still during grade school, going to camp in six inches of snow equipped with nothing but a poncho, leading some people to speculate as he prepared to a hiding spot and perhaps a bunker many, all these many years ago. Okay. So mm-hmm. it's like, and then also the family, like being involved with these groups so early on, who knows what someone could have taught them and made this kid learn and made this kid hate. It's awful. When Eric was 18, Patricia Rudolph briefly took Eric and, and two of her other children to the church of Israel, where Dan Gaiman, a leader in the church, really took the family in. This church Church is disgusting. So this is All the this is a Christian groups. identity movement. This is Christian identity. We covered this in our Israel Keys series. We went a little bit deeper into this religion. And you're right, Katie. It's completely disgusting. Eric had an attachment to the church because of all of this. He even drifted for some time while he was involved with them, like traveled and did things. And he dropped out of high school and got his GED. Then he also attended a happy year at Western Carolina University in Coley, North Carolina. Three of my best friends from high school went to college there. So I spent a lot of time on that campus. He drops out of the college and joins the army right away. It was around 1987 and he serves at Fort Benning, Georgia, but only for 18 months until he was discharged. Many sources say that it was because of marijuana. Many sources say that it was due to insubordination. Yeah, I we think that's know. more likely. Yeah, I think right. it's more likely that it's insubordination. For sure. 100. He lived with his sister for a short time, and he stayed up all night playing aggressive video, loud video games all night, like until the sun was coming up. And then he would sleep all day on the couch and smoke pot and eat Cheetos and scream at the TV racial slurs. He worked in North Carolina and Tennessee as a construction worker for some time. And coworkers would describe him as being this meticulous and thorough in his work. And that he had like this strongly odd work ethic and endurance. Okay. I am just, a, I'm a broken record, Quinnies, but Israel fucking it's keys. So- they Much are like Israel so Keys. insanely similar. And Timothy McVeigh had a very close relationship with his sister. She was one of the only people who really defended him. And it's just interesting how these, these men that go on to perpetuate these, especially bombings, unlike Israel Keys, who's a serial killer, mm-hmm. Timothy McVeigh and Eric Rudolph, they manipulate their relationship with their family to yeah, get 100%. to get into a place of comfort and I don't have to do anything. I don't have to answer to anyone. Mm -hmm. And it helps perpetuate this like, oh, well, my brother could never do that. Or like it makes the family not suspect. They keep this relationship with them, but you know, that relationship is hollow and not, and one-sided, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah. Cause they want to always love them, but yeah, you know that they're not a good person. They also describe him. Like I said, they all, they described him at work as having like this endurance having endless endurance and like this stamina while on the job, like just go for hours straight with no break, right? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Richard, Jewel and his mom are living this torture. It lasts 88 days before finally gets a letter. And it's just a really short statement that just says you're no longer a suspect. It reminds me of Edwin Humphreys with the Gainesville Ripper and them Mm. really making him a target. And mm-hmm. then just that now everyone knows your name and who you are, even if you are innocent, mm-hmm. which he is, you know, it's and just the FBI terrible following him and cars following him every single day, no matter where he went, they had to have conversations on paper because they were being, they believe they were being recorded and like wow. bugged in their own houses. He found would find bugs everywhere. Now, by this point, these 88 days, people have started to realize his innocence 
after their research, after doing their fucking research, Queenies, they realize he's probably innocent, Duel. And so more attorneys start to join the team to help defend him. One of the biggest points of his defense was the polygraph test that he passed with flying colors, like immediately as soon as they gave it to him. Richard said, I hope and pray that no one else is ever subject subjected to the pain and the ordeal that I've gone through. I thank God that it has ended and that you now know what I have known all along, that I am an innocent man. Freaking filed a ton of defamation lawsuits. Of course, got he to. Won, sure. he, won a, he won and settled a, with a lot of them. January 16th, 1997, Eric Rudolph bombs his next location. At this point, he's already started using alias names because aliases because um he had already done the first his first bombing which was the centennial park right and now he's had to immediately go into hiding right then and there after that bombing two bombs 1997 january 16th these two bombs go off at an atlanta medical clinic where abortions were performed seven people were injured and no one was killed then exactly a month later a lesbian gay club was bombed injuring four people no one was killed. Then on January 29th, 1998, at an Alabama abortion clinic and killed a security guard there instantly. And he also permanently injured a nurse who still to this day is not okay. Like yeah, that. this is so sad too, Benny. The, the women's health clinic, the guy who actually died was a security guard named Robert Sanderson. And actually- that was his second job. He was also a police officer Ugh. and he was taking security guard shifts to make extra money. Ironic. Very ironic. Very ironic. And the nurse who was critically injured, her name is Emily Lyons. So just super sad given the circumstances. Yes. The worst part about this is the bomb they later discover was detonated by remote control. Okay. So this is where it really gets twisted. It basically means that Rudolph sat right there and he waited for those people to walk up, right the fuck up on it with their faces at it and hit the button. Mm -hmm. So he was right in the area when the bomb went off and the cops know at this point, you know, that he's on the run because there were witnesses that saw him walking away. One witness account saw him walking away from the scene right after the bomb went off and wasn't looking back. And the witness thought that was so suspicious. Yeah. Why would you be looking back in awe and shock of the building that just blew up behind you? They get his license plate number because another witness sees his truck pull off. When they search the plates, they get a name. That's how they discovered it. <laughs> Eric Rudolph's brother, Daniel, decides to cut his own hand off on camera. Okay, Denise, this is real. This happened. What? His brother decides to cut his own hand up on film, proclaiming his brother's innocence. They have all suffered mistreatment, torture by the media and by law enforcement. And they sewed it back on. Oh, I bet he saw a general physician for that oh. surgery. Does it make you feel Gotta any probably more like go. the have eyes? <sighs> yes. May 1998, the media releases that Eric Rudolph as the top 10 most wanted and they offer a million dollar reward for anyone that can find it. And this is where Socks is going to kind of tell us a little bit about like how the fuck he did this, how he survived and like how he managed it because it really is mind blowing. Eric Rudolph, obviously, like we've said, skilled outdoorsman, self-proclaimed survivalist from the beginning, born into it, 
raised into it just like Israel Keys. During his eventual capture, they found so much evidence of the way that he was living. As I'm sure Katie will get into, he just he gave them so much information that we really do know like exactly how he eluded capture for so long. So he had a campsite and he had tons of underground storage. So he had 55 gallon barrels buried in the ground. Israel keys. Israel keys. Does it kill you? Does it kill you like survival? Like in how long have you been planning this for? He filled each of the barrels with soy, grain, oats. He would set up his campsite close to granaries. And one in particular that he knew that he could access at night without being seen. He would only ever travel at night, only ever travel at night and always under cover of darkness, go nowhere during the day. So if you're going to go anywhere, it better be at night because you're going to be there for the day. He would take his backpack and fill it with grain or soy or oats or whatever he was stealing and just continuously night after night, fill up these barrels so that he would have food in reserves. But that only gets you so far and you start to get hungry for maybe something a little bit different. So he starts staking out local restaurants. So he sit for hours and watch how the restaurant operated. So he would watch when they got food deliveries. He would watch when they were busy. He would watch when no one was around and he start taking notes and basically coming up with a schedule. And he would hit these restaurants when he knew that no one would be around or when he knew that it was going to be the weakest moment. So like when they pull up to the back of the restaurant, open the back of the truck and go inside to get a signature, Eric Rudolph runs into the back of the truck, gets what he wants, puts it in his bag. And just like Katie said, calmly walks away. You, you, you just, you wouldn't even know that he was not supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he started getting into dumpsters from grocery stores and that obviously got him in trouble and that's that ends up being part of his capture Mm -hmm. but he goes on to admit that during the winter when it got cold he just broke into vacant cabins like Mm -hmm. summer rentals that had no one there in the winter he would just break in live there and then like whatever had been done he to winterize knew. He it. memorized people's schedules and knew like when they weren't staying in their houses right. yeah and whatever yeah. they had done to winterize the property he would just do it again yeah when he left there were so also like he just, so like ultimate no trace yeah. like you would not even know that he was there so yeah. insane so and those the, woods are so thick and so deep and he had caves Oh, they you. found caves where he would have been with pieces yeah. of newspaper hung so on the So he starts mapping he was tracking the them. mountains. Yeah, he's mapping the mountains while he's out there and he has this time. He's actually mapping the mountains for an escape route. So like if somebody were to ever approach his campsite, he would have a series of places that he could go to hide or he would have you know he could change location he would know where he was going even at night um and he had when he was picked up the cops first of all the cops roundly reject that he had anybody help him which is very interesting which i'm sure we'll get into in our final thoughts but when he was picked up he was thin like he was he was lean 
but he was not starving. He was doing very well in terms of food mm-hmm. and like he living. survived all those years. And I, but like even more than survived, Benny. Like he was like good. Like he was totally not fine. malnourished. Yeah. He was not sick. He was oh, not he like was planning this shit. Like he just he did he did it really well. Like he he did it exceptionally. So he was arrested on May thirty first, two thousand three, in Murphy Cal in Murphy, North Carolina. Arrested by a rookie police officer again Jeffrey with this ironies. Postle. I know. So strange. The rookie cop Postel. I must. I think is how you pronounce it. Literally just saw Eric going through a dumpster at 4 30 in the morning around behind a save-a-lot store and he thought it was just like a dude burglarizing the place but he comes across him and it's eric freaking rudolph okay wow he was unarmed eric was completely unarmed he was he didn't resist arrest at all he was clean shaven his hair was dyed black and he wore a camouflage jacket wore clothes and new sneakers so like just like justin said he was doing very well he was fine he, he was, was absolutely fine, fine. Like if he had Dude. not been caught in that, going through that dumpster, like how much longer it could have been forever. Yeah. You know what I mean? He knew how to live off the land. 100. Insane. 100. So oh. he is picked up. He's arrested that day and federal authorities charge him on October 14th, 2003. And he would face a total of 23 counts related to four separate bombings. And the charges include bombing, use of explosives, and their transportation across state lines, threats of violence by telephone and mail. During his hearing, Assistant U.S. Attorney Jill Rose would read the charges against him, and it would take her 15 minutes to name all of the charges. Holy shit. And while she's doing that, Eric Rudolph is sitting there just listening intently, like into it. So at first he would be represented by attorney Richard Jaff, um, who would later withdraw his representation. I'm not sure why I couldn't find the reasoning. Because Eric Rudolph is insufferable. I Carly. mean, there's that. <laughs> because there's I no mean, excuse for him. Pretty much. Um, but he would later, Eric would then be represented by Judy Clark. And on April 8th, 2005, um, the Department of Justice would announce that Eric had agreed to a plea bargain in order to avoid the death penalty. He would plead guilty to all the charges. And he made his pleas in person in Birmingham, Alabama, and Atlanta, Georgia. But while he did this, he released a statement to explain all of his actions. And it is the most disgusting thing I've ever read. Did you guys yeah. read it? His manifesto or whatever? Yeah. It is yeah. so bad. So I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but here's some just bullet points about it. He stated that he agreed to the plea to plead guilty to deprive the government of its goal of sentencing me to death okay and then he goes on to say that the only reason he got the deal offered to him was because the prosecution is scared that they don't have enough evidence and that the defense could turn like some of the jury members and so he's like very confident that like if it had gone to a full trial like they were just scared they wouldn't have gotten me anyway so they had to offer me that he then just goes on to rant for a really long time about how abortion is murder just for a long time just going really into it okay nobody asked you thank you literally no one one literally no No one one cares what you think about that thank you next at all thanks bye he says the government is a monstrosity um and who are agents of mass murder in regards to the abortions okay but then he says there's nothing against the government they're just a monstrosity and agents of mass murder so okay um then he starts getting into the pro-life republicans Okay. He says, just because you're a pro-life Republican and you're pro-life doesn't mean anything because you're calling me a murderer. 
that makes you a plastic person and that your lies are transparent. So anyone who is anti-abortion, but still calling him a murderer is a plastic person. And whatever that is, I'm not entirely sure, but he goes on just say, oh, and then to you plastic people. And then he quotes a bunch of scripture, which is just never a good sign. Nope, never. He says he has sympathy for those quote unquote suffering with homosexuality. Because oh, no one asked you. Literally, no one asked you. No one cares what you think you about that. The craziest parts about this one of his brothers was gay. Eric knew it. When he bombed that gay lesbian bar, it was a bar that his own brother frequented. I can't. Binnie's? Oh, wow. Yes. So now they, they don't know to this day if he was maybe even trying to kill his own brother. Yeah. Yep. Well, he's not done in a statement anyway, because he's still going on. He then goes out and explains in detail how he planned his attacks about the events, like how he, like from A to Z, like how he planned it and how he uh, made it all happen. He explains his actions and like in his statement, he's rationalizing everything that he did. Then he goes again about abortions, murder, blah, blah, blah. Like, so after all this whole statement goes, I mean, I honestly, I don't understand like how they kept like allowing him to keep speaking, but he ends it with quote, but by the grace of God, I am still here. Oh, okay. 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 Just vomit everywhere. So the terms of the plea agreement, Eric would have to be sentenced to four consecutive life terms, which would mean he was sentenced to two consecutive life terms without parole on July 8th, 2005 for the 1998 murder of a police officer, then sentenced to two consecutive life terms without parole for the Atlanta bombings on August 22nd, 2005. He would then be that same day, um, be brought to ADX Florence Supermax Federal Prison where he would spend 23 hours per day alone in his 80 square foot cell. He's probably living the life getting his three square meals. That's it. Oh no, if you go on his website, he goes, uh, there's a whole page about the the problems at the Superbacks Federal Prison and just how it is just hell on earth and people just the guard it's a whole thing it's a monstrosity it's a, carly it is it's a, it's mon- a monstrosity oh wait i'm sorry oh wait is eric rudolph now a victim now yeah always yes but he says like oh well it's because of the homosexual guards and blah blah blah, blah. it's a whole thing it is sick <sighs> i just he's had to sick, leave he's a sick like, SOB. I don't really even excuse my french he's a sick sob yeah like his page As- is asking for people to write to him and like give him money yeah literally sick. like commissary money yeah. yeah because he did the work for the mass murders of the fetuses which we shouldn't be calling fetuses we have to call them babies apparently according to him like i feel like he still wouldn't want me to be able to vote though that he wants abortions to go away he wants like all like that's his big crusade but like as far as human rights go after you're born it doesn't extend to that at all no way Mm -hmm. so jewel richard jewel eventually returns to law enforcement and he worked throughout a few different departments through georgia he also met a woman named dana and she was a social worker and she eventually became his wife He did get a tiny little bit of closure. In 2006, the Georgia governor, Sonny Perdue, commended him publicly for his heroic actions at Centennial Park that helped stave off an utter catastrophe. Aw, that's at least somebody said it. Richard Joel then died the following year of complications from diabetes. So like that was the only thing that he got. 
some people still think that he did it to this day because like once it's out there like that they're always going to link those two things together yes definitely a lot of things changed after that like through law enforcement too their investigation like the ways of investigating things like take longer before they um name you a suspect like they don't name you a suspect now person right away yeah person of interest you don't become a suspect it's much exactly it becomes like a next step if you will Mm -hmm. to name them a suspect now they learned about worldwide terrorism more and then they also learned more about obviously terrorism that was going on right here in the united states mm-hmm. now i'm sorry like i am all for people living their best lives not it, if you think the out. holocaust is a hoax and you think there the comes no there's a you gotta draw a line somewhere okay. okay when you start pulling the snakes out the basket i'm out final thoughts on this on this story my final thought is is he is just a real p.o.s truly Okay, no one asked whether you think abortion is murder or not. And no one cares about no your opinion. No one cares about oh, your cool. opinion. Later, dude. Also, like, America is not yours. Exactly. Like, you don't get to decide. Like, you you do not, you don't get to pick for everybody else. Like, nope. that's the point. Nope. No, this is the we the people in order to form a more perfect union together he was like going oh roe versus way is going to be overturned like any day like it's i would punch him right in his freaking head twice out of here get out of here you don't even have a a dog in this fight you don't even in his cell (laughs) (laughs) he'll recognize it he'll definitely recognize it like you know what that is he'll be like you can't fool Um, an old fool Quinny, okay, so you know that I'm mildly obsessed with Oklahoma City, with that entire story and the whole, all the conspiracy theories that come out of it and the whole homegrown terrorism thing and the the perpetuating the active shooter problem that we have now. Mm-hmm. I'm, I am obsessed with all these uh, bombing scenarios that went on in the 90s, especially. I don't understand yeah. how... They, after Oklahoma City in 1994, 1995, 1995, April 19th, 1995. That sure, sure, sure. That sounds right to me. Sure, They just didn't believe it was going to happen again that quickly, probably. But, okay. So, sure. Fine. Great. To- totally. I'm You're here like, there's that. no way. There's that no makes way. sense for, that makes sense to me. But they did know because they caught Timothy McVeigh, boom, done the, the day that it happened. They caught him immediately right. and they didn't even know who they caught when they got mm-hmm. him right. because he took his plates off of his car so that they so he would get pulled over a lot of weird things like that when they picked him up he had his uh six semper tyrannous t-shirt on and he had the writings of patrick henry on his front seat it was all staged yeah it's a plan and it, it seemed like he was being supported by the movement to do this, these Christian identity people, white mm-hmm. supremacists. It seemed like there was a, a complex network going on who were setting him up to do this. So after that, after seeing that and seeing what happened to the country after that, and then something like this happening, do you think that they they literally were like, okay, there's no possible way it could be this again. They just did this or do you think that they know damn well that they can't stop an underground movement like white supremacists? How is the government going to infiltrate that network of people under the law 
Like how are they actually ever going? These people who are quote unquote, don't hate the government, right? Just like he says, Mm -hmm. but are actively trying to hide themselves from the government. Do you think that they just hoped against hope and crossed their fingers that it could possibly be somebody else or something else? Yeah. Like blatantly, we're like, we're not looking in that direction. Yeah, because like you can't just, be bad again. Because yeah. I mean, so yeah, a lot of people are just like, well, that was just really like that was just sheer ignorance on sheer ignorance on their part for not. Yeah, because it just happened. Oh, and I also forgot too that backpack got knocked over, Quinny's. Mm-hmm. The plan and the intention, because he spit, he was so meticulous, as I said, and studied everything so like crazy. His plan was the backpack was set a certain way where it was supposed to blow out. It was supposed to hit and have Mm. mass destruction, okay? Mm -hmm. But when those drunk kids were freaking going around in the back, who knows what happened? The the backpack probably may have gotten shifted a little bit. Wow. And it happened to not set it off and somehow it managed to blow up. And so the majority of the blow went into the sky. That's so crazy. And really crazy. I just, I, I, yeah, I just wanted to know what you thought about that, Benny, because really when you said that he was ID'd by somebody and I witnessed, saw him walk away from the scene with his back turned to a bomb like that, yeah. Timothy McVeigh was ID'd by somebody walking almost the exact same situation wow. and he was not looking because he had earplugs in his ears because yeah. he, ju- he, he knew, knew exactly right. what he just did right. so he's not like aware of his surroundings just just turn around and calmly walk away and it just seems like the same type of circumstance and i have to wonder if they knew the same people if they mm. were in the same circles if they were or um may have been attached with something they're getting yeah, the same i think there was a lot of that yes yes of that that went on through this whole thing but that i would say that that would be my conspiracy angle to this yeah. whole thing yeah. is is it possible that they use richard jewell as a as a, a hopeful suspect when they knew damn well to, that they were dealing like with the same type of homegrown terrorism a hopeful scapegoat yeah, well, I know what's not yeah. a conspiracy theory and what's like an actual fact, and that is that like they did a shitty ass job. Like this, these people. I'm sorry, sorry FBI. Like I know you do some cool ass stuff, but like also like that ain't cool, bro. They did like, the somebody... ATF in particular fucked up the '90s pretty bad, <laughs> like yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, a lot like of us. ways. Yeah, it's yeah. so scary. It's so freaking scary to not just really just knows. to think of that there are. People who really believe this shit and who really get yeah. wrapped up in this shit. And like, I, again, just as we always say on this show, if you are having thoughts that are, that you don't understand or that are intrusive or getting in your way, there's so many great resources out there to just talk, talk to, to somebody talk before to someone, you, anyone. before you, you know, take a step like this. It's just, or if you tragic. know someone who is making so many claims or saying some weird stuff. Yeah. Also talk to somebody let someone else know and if your boyfriend your new boyfriend has a couple beers and starts spouting some racial slurs and things like that i would say hang out for about five minutes so that you can run the recorder on your cell phone and then leave Mm -hmm. and then when he's wondering why you won't call back 
Just send him the video. Yep. Just send him a voicemail that says, I'm dead. (laughs) Hey, sorry. I couldn't. Hey, Hey, I I couldn't call you back. I'm dead. I died. I'm literally ghosting you because I am now a ghost. (laughs) Because I died. All right. Definitely. All right. Love All right, Benny's. Love you, Benny's. I'm going to bed. Good night. Too. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> Bye. Listen to Straight Up Evil.